All right, we're on. Nice. Good morning. I'm really happy to be doing this. I takes more time than you'd think, but I, I really enjoy preaching. I really enjoy getting into the Word. My, for those of you that I, I see a, a, just a couple unfamiliar faces, um, I'm Eric Hansen. I'm a follower of Jesus, number one, and I'm a dad and husband and I work at Transamerica. I don't get paid by Redeemer, but I am a, on the pastoral team here along with Glenn, and we are going to talk about something broader than just what it means to be a servant leader today, but that fits in perfectly. And I want to thank my oldest daughter, Nellie. I know she's like, why are we talking about me? Well, Nellie, I I was picking her brain last week after Glenn talked about what it means to be a servant leader. Um, And I asked, you know, Nellie, what did you get out of, what did you get out of that? And she made the point, she's like, it was really good I'm trying to understand how it relates to me just as a believer and as a member. And I thought, oh, this is is a great question. Um, And in fact, you you may be even sitting there thinking a little bit to yourself, so we have another message today on servant leadership. How does this apply to me? How does this apply to my kids? How does this apply to my neighbor that's visiting That's a great question. And let me answer the question with a question. What is the difference between a saved follower of Jesus and a servant leader? Okay, we'll come back to that at the end. My main point today from the book of Acts, and we're going to actually back up the truck a bit and start in Acts 2 for some really important, helpful context on what was going on then. But it is lose your life to save it. This is Christianity. Transformed by Jesus to serve and lead others out of love for them. That's what a Christian, true Christian, naturally does. And we're talking about serving and leading within the context of the local community of believers, also known as the church. So for a little bit of context before the context, so that's, what is a Christian? Well, it's kind of like asking, what's the gospel? Which is a really important, two really important questions to be able to answer. But there are multiple different ways of saying a right answer. One thing that comes to mind, in my view, in, in thinking of what does the Bible talk about being a follower of the way, of the, a follower, one submitting their, having submitted their lives, one has gone from death to life. It's someone who recognizes, as in daily, not just past tense, one and done, but someone who recognizes their need, their lack, they have sin, and that's a problem. And that there is a creator, one true God, who cannot stand sin. He is holy and good and very happy about it and deserving of our praise, which is appropriate. So it's someone that recognizes these things. And further, they recognize that this creator, this God, made a way for them 
to survive the devastation that they actually deserve. They, they, he made a way. He made a path through um, what looked like a, a dead-end scenario. And they saw that dead-end scenario, that they were a, they're a sinner, they deserve his punishment, and he makes a way. They also must, and they have, joyfully and willingly accepted what was a free gift, something they couldn't earn, something they couldn't strive to become good enough to attain, to be pleasing. They don't have a pleasant aroma in and of themselves, and they recognize that, but they see that they've been given that freely from this good God. And as a natural response, they've submitted their life, their daily thoughts, the way they use their hands, the way they use their eyes, what they look at, the way they use their mouth, the way they tend their heart in a way to bless and love others because they see they've been blessed and loved in an undeserved way. This is a Christian. And they've joyfully submitted their life, their thoughts, their choices, their money, their schedule, their time, their dreams, all that they're living for. Love that song, You Can Have It All, Lord. A Christian has joyfully submitted these things to God. They see submission as a beautiful thing. They've submitted their life to God. And then so, as a result of those things, a true believer and follower of this true king, this person is seeking to hear from God and respond to God. So, what does God say to a believer, a follower of him, one who belongs to him? And I've got some fan- I got a little fancy inspired by Glenn. My dad does this too. My dad's a preacher. Eli, you want to bring up the first slide? So as fancy as this is, you're going to see it kind of slide in, I think, and then go into um, full mode, slideshow mode. Isn't this great? Okay. Thank you, Eli. I had to, it wasn't a too tough of a sell, but Eli's back there. Um, Eli's what, going into ninth grade? Eighth? And he's serving, does lyrics, it slides. And it's, it was in, this is the type of thing that encourages me, just side note, about Redeemer, in that there are little things like that that make me go, here is, that, that's like, there is a God, he has changed hearts, he is still on the move. And, and Eli's back there serving. You know, I come crashing in like, hey, do you think we could fit in some slides today? We didn't really know how to do it. Oxel was on a path to get us there but we just ran out of time. And so he, he, he submitted because he was like, maybe we should just not do this today. I'm like, well, I think, I think we should try for two more minutes. And then we got, found a way. But so anyway, um, yeah. So as a true believer and follower, what does it look like? What do we hear? Um, those who belong to Jesus follow him. Real simple. What does he say? He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. It's beautiful. So a couple, couple notes. You can't follow someone, a sports team. I was asked yesterday about who the new quarterback is of the Buccaneers, and I had a total blank. And he's like, 
Tom Brady, I'm like, oh, I think I've heard of Tom Brady. Like, I just don't keep up with the latest on his, I thought he retired, I heard he came back. But you can't follow, you don't know about the NFL if you're not following the NFL, the National Football League, right? Or Tom Brady. You, you can't follow something you're not watching. You can't follow Jesus if you're not watching Jesus, right? You can't hear someone you aren't listening to. Are these words sweet to you? Are you, are you reading them? Are you listening to them? Are you, are you just being quiet after you've given your litany of, you know, requests about what you need, looking for him to serve you? Do you have the moment where you just listen to him to speak to your heart through the Holy Spirit to make it a supernatural, living, real relationship? This is what a Christian is. A naturally, God has reached in, changed your desires, you accept the free gift, and now you're, you're a sheep. You see that you're a sheep, and you're following after a very good shepherd. Um, let's go to the next slide, which is a bit of a wager. Um, yeah. Well, I think this is a, a little out of order. Um, let's go to, go to the slide after this, actually, Eli. Yeah, here we go. You'll get to see the um, Pascal's wager in a moment, if you're wondering what that's all about. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? We have a little picture on the right. I don't know if you can see it very well. In a, in a kind of cheesy way, I put a caterpillar over that, and I'll explain that. That, that person standing atop the... I like this picture because it's like chess, and I think I used to see life as chess. Like, the point is winning, this is, how, this is wrong, by the way. So if everything I say from here, it's like, don't be confused. I'm going to compare and contrast what like, Eric Hansen saw as a learning a lot about God, but not having a saved heart and wanting like, all the trappings of the world. And then like, oh, the icing on the cake would be to be able to say you're a Christian too, as a good insurance policy in case it's all real and that sort of thing. Um, so... This person has apparently climbed the ladder, made the right strategic moves, worked really hard, acquired the right toys, is a part of successful things, has been a success in the eyes of the world, and has made it to the top because they're a winner, not a loser. And Jesus says, well, this is going to be hard, but if you want to follow me, you, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross you need to submit to me. And in fact, you need to lose your life. Like, and I think of lose your life. Like all the things, like the ability to put myself first, the, the, the pull to think of my needs, I need to say no to that. The, the desire for comfort, um, I'm too tired to get up. I'm too tired to finish this last mile. I, I just want a second helping of that food that's not healthy for me, or whatever it is. Um, 
Jesus says, this is the life that you need to be able to say no to because I'm, I'm, you're putting me on the throne. You're putting me on the throne of your heart now. And there's a, there's a new ruler of your heart that comes, and it's good for you. And I think part of this is the fact that the guy, he gets to the top, he's just a caterpillar, just a worm in the end. In, in a sense, like just another worm. Whereas Jesus, and if you go to the next slide, Eli, I'm not going to do slides the whole morning, by the way. I've got like three total. But this is, so, so Jesus, in a sense, you could think of it as you want to be king caterpillar or the eternal butterfly. And um, this is, Nellie came to mind again. We were at the, she works at this monarch research center where they're like, yesterday we saw Hundreds of butterflies, monarch butterflies, get released. They've been raising them and tracking them, their development, and making sure they have the right food. Um, not like that little kid's book, The Hungry Caterpillar. Like, these caterpillars have to eat specific things, milkweed. So there's a lot about milkweed and growing milkweed. And, um, and then once the... the it, but it goes through a transformation, is my point. Like, what we need is transformation. We don't need tips and tricks to be successful. In this life. And Jesus came and said, See this thing that happens in the cocoon? And by the way, the chrysalis state, some people call it a cocoon, when they're hanging there, it's that caterpillar completely liquefies. I don't know if you, you should read about this if you've never didn't know this. The transformation of a caterpillar to a monarch is one of the most amazing scientific wonders that God's put out there for us. I see it as analogy on God saying, Think creatively. You're wondering what's next after this life, after this worm of a body, this physical shell goes away. How can I explain it? Well, I'll show you something without words. And it's, it, it's so amazing to see. A, a, think of that. The caterpillar goes in. That's like we, he's, and, and, But not all caterpillars not all caterpillars come out of the cocoon flying and looking like a butterfly. It's those that have submitted to a king, and it's a greater thing. I'd also like one more thing. Like, with respect to, we don't need to go back, Eli. Um, I'll hit Pascal's wager, and then we'll get into Acts. But um, I just think if, we're, if, any, if any human is really honest with themselves, well, actually, do that. It's not that. It's not that great. Like, the world, the whole call of Jesus to lose your life so that you can save it, like have a life, become the monarch. If you just look around and look at like not what looks successful, but what is happy, like distinguish what, what's your definition of success. Look at people that have all those things and over the course of their life, like are they the type of person others want to be around, are drawn to, not because of what they might get, you know, grabbing sort of way, but just because of who they are. And maybe even better said, and you know, maybe that's a judging type of angle, it's not. What about just from the standpoint of, are they at peace? Are they content? Are they full of joy? Are they, are they satisfied? Even if they're happy and at peace and content and full of joy, or I, mean, I would argue a lot of worldly successful people I've known, I've been there. I feel this. I mean, to some degree, we feel this every day, right? When we, we'll go back to Tom Brady. He's recognized. He talks about this. 
Jim Carrey is a comedian, successful comedian, talks about this. Being at the top, having a large following, being popular, not having to worry about money, it's just not that great. It doesn't satisfy the longings of your heart. And Jesus is making an appeal. Don't shoot for down here amongst the other caterpillars. Shoot for up, shoot for up here, right? Trust in me. Just accept this gift. Um, if you go back two slides, Pascal's Wager... You've seen this before. Basically, Blaise Pascal, you know, 17th century, he made this wager or this basically grid of thinking about life. He's just arguing in a rational sort of way. The upside way big of, of believing in God, if God's real, if God proves to be real, huge upside. If you believed in God and he ends up not being real, like everything, this is just a hoax. It's not worth your time. His point is, you didn't sacrifice that much in comparison to the consequence of you deny God and then he's real. Big consequence. I would just say in this lower, lower right-hand category, you live as though there's no God, basically. You don't follow after him. And then there ultimately you die and that's just it. There, there's no God. This isn't real. I would say even in that model, my point with the whole Tom Brady, Steve, Jim Carrey example, it's just not that great. It's finite gain. Ah. My point is it's, it's, it's actually, it's, it's more convincing even than Pascal had it. Um, go for Jesus. Go for transformation. Go follow the, the real shepherd who calls us to serve and lead out of love for others. That's just better even here on this earth than going after the world, which doesn't satisfy. That's my point with Pascal's wager. Um, all right, let's, um, as far as the slides go, you can jump ahead, Eli, back to the one of the, the fruit. That's fine. Yeah, just leave it there. So I'm, I'm making a point that servant leadership is really what happens then as a Christian. You just, it's not something that you, you earn to tick off. You don't earn extra favor you're not more valuable. Um, you don't get more credit, so to speak. I would argue you get more joy just as you grow and serve and love to the degree if you've ever given a generous gift to someone. Did you get joy out of that? Yeah. So um, my point is choosing to submit yourself to leadership within the context of a church so that you can be a helper and serve, and also lead others while you are being led, that's a beautiful picture. That's really what God calls you to. And um, that's what happens when you mature as a Christian. So Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, we've been created and then saved, not by works, for we've been why did God save us? He saved us for good works that he prepared in advance that we should walk in them. So I'm saying serve, being a servant leader is a natural progression of being a Christian. And it happens if you're truly a Christian and you understand it and go after it. It's, it that's, that's what we're talking about. You lose your life to save it. This is the life of a Christian servant leader. So fruit indicates a healthy tree. These desires, 
that I've been talking about indicate a Christian. Jesus said, by their fruits you will know them, right? He's referring to false believers and prophets. Matthew 7, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree actually bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is then cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So, let's continue into the, back into the book of Acts. For a little bit of context, I'm going to walk through and highlight some things. If you have their, your Bible, you do actually get extra credit points for that. So, if you have your phone, it's worth like 0.5. The, the real Bible is like a full. Just kidding. Right? No, I'm serious. I'm actually serious about that. Um, <laughs> like, hmm, is he serious? Let's look at Acts chapter 2. And I, before verse 42, and you can look at this, but basically you see belief, repentance, and baptism. It's going to take me too much time to, to go all the way through two. And then, then in verse 42, so this is a group of people, some of which saw Jesus, like the apostles, walked with him, and now people are getting converted, and they're full of joy, and they're full of life, and they're wanting to know what's next. Verse 42, um, this is what we see. Jesus was so clear and, and, and the experience was so good that they devoted themselves to the word, which the apostles' teaching. They, they wanted more, okay? They wanted deeper. They had appetites of curiosity and wonder. Is this you? Fellowship and community with one another, sharing meals and prayer. They witnessed wonders and signs. They experienced them within their families, within their relationships. They shared their stuff. They looked forward to sharing their houses, their toys, their trinkets, their tools, their time, their precious time. They daily went to the temple or church together. And you see all this, by the way, in 42 through 47. I could just read it, but this is, this is multi. You're reading, you're hearing. They were filled with gladness and generous hearts. They were praising God. They had favor with all the people. They were filled with joy. And then Acts 3 starts out. What do we see right off the gate? The lame are healed. Peter himself healed a lame man. You see boldness in Acts 3 verse 11. While he clung, I'll just read this part. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made them walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead, 
To this we are witnesses in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. He's, he's, do you think that was bold? That was like a death, a death wish, right? To stand up in front of the reigning established church, the favored church, the Jewish people and their leaders, and say over and over, you missed it. And, and basically, you fools, like you did this. This is a huge, I'm just stating facts, like you did this thing to the author of life. That was bold. That's who they were. I also love a couple things in here, by the way. The way they point, this is um, Peter. Peter pointed to God. It wasn't us. It was God's power. Very quick to, to just write to God. And um, yeah, okay, so Acts, let's jump ahead. Acts 4, 13. This is a great verse. So other things are happening here. The rulers didn't like what they heard. And <laughs> this, this gives a person like me encouragement. And I mean, I really do mean this. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceiving that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Oof. Peter and John uneducated, common men, speaking in power, Holy Spirit power, having actual power, raising up a lame person right in front of their very eyes. And people are following them and listening. Like, I, I love that. I also love, um, it just silenced them. The next verse talks about they had nothing to say in opposition. But here's the thing. Being, the last part of that verse, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Being with Jesus changes you. I think they, they could see, I mean, the analogy is going to break down like anyone does, but within the chrysalis, at some point, you see that butterfly coming through. And in, their, in, in some ways, like caterpillars, you know this, if you, are, if you have trusted Jesus with your life and you've met another person who has submitted their life to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, something happens where you, instant brother, instant sister. I was hanging out with Travis at Snug the other morning, and it was a great experience for so many reasons. Um, um, and yeah, our time together, and we actually met a couple other uh, guys, that there was just this, that, that, that thing happened where, where, you, where it's like, hmm, Caterpillar soon to be monarch sees another caterpillar soon to be monarch, and they know they can, their souls, their souls see each other. I think. What else did these guys see in Peter and John? They had been with Jesus. It was clear they had been with Jesus. All right, enough on that. I love it. Um, the butterfly. I could spend the rest of the morning on it probably. So, um, Acts four, twenty-three through thirty-one. You see them celebrating God. And seeking his power, not our power. So this is good. God is sovereign, yet calls us to act. So now I'm going to give a little mini-sermon on Calvinism. Just kidding. Bad joke. Mostly because it's not true, I'm not going to do it. You're like, just saying. Just trying to make Glenn nervous. Like, come on. we didn't. That wasn't in the notes. That wasn't in your outline. Um, God is sovereign. This is what you see. Um, 
Here we go. I'll go through this verse to verse. I think this is beautiful. It's, it's hard not to just read it, so I will. Acts 4.23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders said. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, By the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles range and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. So they're quoting scripture. King David wrote this by the power of the Holy Spirit into scripture, God's words. Verse 27, For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Okay? So, like I was, where I was going with that, God is sovereign yet calls us to act. What happens next in verse 29? They make a plea like it's on the line, right? And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Recognized his sovereignty, Recognize they're called to act, boldly praying and calling out to God, do this thing. Please help us to, stay bo to, to be bold. Um, I love that. that um, see that all over the place in Scripture, the both and of sovereignty in our action. David spoke by the Holy Spirit. Let's see. Yes, we covered that. Acts 5, getting there. Basically, you see an appetite to speak the words of life. An angel released them from prison and told them to go back and keep speaking the words of life. <laughs> it's awesome. That's verse 20. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Keep doing this. And they, and they submitted. I would submit to an angel. I hope I'm submitting to Jesus. Usually they fall down first. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So they went right back to it. They know reality. So th again, this is, who, were the early, who was the early church? That's what I'm doing here. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian as part of a group, a church? I'm not saying the early believers in the book of Acts was a model that we, like, because you could go through and say, we haven't sold all of our things and created communism right here in Cedar Rapids. It seems like what they did. I'm not saying that. It's just there are some really good stuff that we can take from this. Um. So they also know reality. Um, you know, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor do so in vain. I think God loves to do this, and that's from Psalm 127. I feel that way in my life a lot of times. I feel that way as I think about our church, just Lord. <laughs> what do you have? What do you have? Listen to this. When, so when um, Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, this is later in 5, he basically, to the Jewish leaders, he says, hey, don't worry about this guy. Don't worry about these people. Remember so-and-so started a movement, so-and-so started a movement, and they fizzled. If, and he says, 
So in the present case, I tell you, verse 38, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. Um, Wisely, for them. And you might say, I mean, based on what happens, where is the gospel spreading most rapidly in the world? It's where Christians are being killed. You might say, okay, well, even if they had taken this group of followers at the time, I mean, Jesus is unstoppable, unstoppable reality. It would spread. So that's not what happened. That's not, you know, but it's, it's, it's so good to, to recognize that and, and to submit to the plan of God and still act. Acts 5, what else do we see? They, they knew Jesus is really that true and wonderful. Why would they give their lives like this? Why would they give things up? And why, like Ananias and Sapphira, the husband and wife, they went ahead, they kind of were half, one foot in, one foot out with what the church was doing at the time. They sold all their stuff and then lied about how much money they got and presented their coins, lied about it. Ananias goes down dead. Sapphira, his wife, shows up. They said, how much did you sell your house for? She lied about it. She falls dead. Um, pretty radical, um, what was happening there. And they, they didn't, like, kill these people. They just, the Bible says they, they fell down dead and they were carried out. But they were doing this willingly, not under threat or compulsion. Why else would they rejoice at being counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus? Why would, it be, why would they be counted worthy if there wasn't one who had the worth? And, it, and, and following and praising him and giving up their life, counting it all as rubbish, they saw the upside. They saw their future as in that transformed state. Jesus was the center of their life. We also see every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ, the Savior, the only hope, is Jesus. That was what they thought about. That's what they prayed about. That's what they based their hope on. That's where they found their joy. That's what they spent their money on, their time on. So the early chapters of Acts were a perfect setup. The people who experienced Jesus, ultimate reality, purpose, joy, peace, hope, a people gladly losing their lives in order to save their life, have real life, save their real life. This is the life of a Christian. That's the point I'm, that's the argument I'm trying to make today from, from Scripture. And this is the life of one serving within the church, or as we call it, a servant leader. Not, so this is, what is this not? This is not, what you have to go and do. This is really a what, you, what you naturally do. Like This is what you get to do. You get to share your joy and experience more joy as a result of sharing your stuff, your time, your talents, your treasures. Acts 6, our passage. We see an identification of servants and helpers to lead among God's people. So for the first time in the early church, you see a distinction being made between those who were really overseeing or, or pastoring the apostles and the disciples, 
a distinction between them in terms of role. Equal in value, difference in role and function. Just like parts of a body. Different in function, equal in value. Complementing roles. I feel like we've seen this before. I feel like it's talked about a bit in Scripture. And just like submission, complementing, submission to authority and complementing, like puzzle pieces fitting together, it's a beautiful thing. Our fearless leader, Jesus, he submitted to the Father. Paul's writings to the early churches, this was a point of emphasis. And he, it was a point of emphasis to his letters to specific leaders like Timothy, Titus. You see this in Romans, Colossians, and Ephesians. We as members of a church body, different roles, different functions, equal value. Members, servant leaders, it's funny, we go in organization, we'll you know, organizational charts, I'll just cover this now. They're always top down, right? Like board of directors are somewhere out here, like they're like the angels or something. And then there's the CEO. And then everyone else is like, it's a pyramid. And Jesus flips it upside down and says, for even the Son of Man not, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So he's at the bottom serving like a tree of his people, right? So they flourish. So that's the leader that we have, and we joyfully submit to him. We submit to each other. Pastoral team members, servant leaders, members, different functions, same value. No one's more, no one's closer to God. You don't edge closer to God by being a servant leader or a, or a pastor, a pastoral team. Equal in value. All. Um, our reliance on the same Jesus to have any standing before God, right? We are actually called, Ephesians 5 talks about a lot of mind-blowing things. You know, husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church, and wives, submit to your husbands. These are mind-blowing things. It also says, before that, before that part of Ephesians 5, we as a church body are called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Children submit to parents, that's a beautiful thing. Employees to employers, that's a beautiful thing. When the, to the degree that parents and employers are, um, by God's common grace, like bringing blessing to that subordinate. And similarly, wives to husbands. Um, to the degree the husband is following after Christ and modeling Christ, a wife is blessed and, joy, and is joyful to submit to that leadership. So this, the distinction we see in Acts 6, all of a sudden, it's just, there, there's a, some unfairness going on, it seems. There's a dispute, and there needs to be some discernment applied, and distinguish, define, let's define some roles. So some disciples were called to prioritize and focus on a devotion of, of prayer and ministry of the word, speaking and preaching the gospel. We would look at that and say, in a lot of respects, that's tying right into, I mean, that's, a, that's an abbreviated version and wasn't intended to be a manual on like defining roles within the church, but you see that, that is a, there's a tie into pastoral team, elder, overseer, in that. And then they were calling others to help, to serve, to focus on 
acts of service. In this case, the, the duty of overseeing the fair distribution and serving of food to the widows. What were the qualifications that we see noted here in Acts 6 for these servant leaders? Good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. We see this distinction as applicable to what we have at Redeemer today. Um, they were following Jesus and joyfully gave up their lives and, and their life and their rights, you know, in order to in order to save their life and, and, and to bless the church. Stephen, I mean, Acts 6 goes on to talk about Stephen, which we don't really have time. I'd like to do something else with the time. But read about Stephen. Stephen was one of those servant leaders. But he was, he was, um, he was a force to be dealt with. He saw... He was so bold and full of the Holy Spirit and unashamed of Jesus and the power of Jesus that they killed him. But before they killed him, he, God gave him a glimpse. He looked up and he, see the, he, saw, he saw Jesus. He saw reality. That his, he was getting his wings already, right? He, his, his inner, he was going into chrysalis state a little early. I love that. So do you want this, this lose your life to save it, the life of a Christian, the life of serving others and leading others out of love for them? Lord, help us. How, what, what can we do? I mean, don't you just feel powerless? In things that really matter, I feel powerless. Like, what, what choices my kids will make someday? I feel powerless. To a large extent, um, I feel powerless in a lot of things that, you know, what does God have for this church? Just look to the Lord. Pray. Know that that prayer has an effect. You know, God, the, the things that matter the most, you know, people, eternity. We, we, we can have, we tap into God, right? He gives us the opportunity to bend his ear and he listens and he cares. And we, and we tap into him. But he, should, he loves revealing our desperation, our need. Um, so that's, a, that's preempting. That's just a preview to my application. And I say all that because I don't want this to sound like the checklist of the things that now, he's, now start writing something down. Because I just want to say, like, life is not a checklist, right? Um, but if, it, if it's helpful, I think these are practical things that we see in Scripture summarized. I'm going to try to summarize some things. Some of this is review. Number one, look at Jesus. Experience Jesus. If you're not experiencing him, press in. Ask and you will, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Like, Get in, read, read the Bible, like cry out to God, be hungry, like literally hungry, like, like say no to food for a meal or two so that you can experience hunger because it makes you sharper. God does something with that. He calls us to fast. Like if all of this doesn't, if you haven't tasted and seen or you're not tasting and seeing, talk to your brother, talk to your sister within this family. Um, 
I mean, that's what, when Travis and I went to the snug, I felt like God was just scraping me off of the, the floor, the, the unforgotten spot of the, the kitchen where the cupboard overhangs the floor, where things don't get swept very well every once in a while. I felt I was there, and God was, by Travis, just looking at me and asking, like, like loving me as a brother. Um, I felt God's powerful hand, like, scraping me up. That, so, ask yourself, are you, what, what else can you do? Like, get hungry, talk to people. What are they doing? How are they experiencing God right now? How do they feel? Are you experiencing Jesus? Learn, be changed. Have you stopped wondering? You know, like, talk to one of, one, talk to one of my little kids. They, all they ask is questions. Roland has questions. Noble has questions. Louisa has questions. Hazel has questions. The rest of them, they've got it all figured out. Lizzie asks a question every once in a while. Um, do you remember what that felt like? How far is the moon away from Earth? How long could, is there, you know, is the, is the world, I was, look, I was going to bring in a slide. There's all this stuff about the universe expanding and stars and what happens to stars and how different each star is. And then I'm like, are stars really angels? Do we become stars? Is this cosmic? Where's Jesus again? You know I still think he's in the middle of the sun, by the way, <laughs> physically. But um, are you filled with, you know what I'm talking about? Like, do you wonder? Do you, do you wonder about, do you see nature and just let yourself go there? Like, God created the world. Romans says God created all this. You go on a nature hike and stick anything in a little plastic bag, you should. You should bring a plastic baggie. And then look at it under a microscope. Or put it under your pillow at night. That was a free freebie, free idea. Maybe not. Um, these are just, are you, are you experiencing this? Because the Bible is not stale, old, dusty, boring history. It's like, it is history, but it's poetry and song and prophecies about what's to come and prophecies that happened. Oh, gosh. I mean, there, if it's be, it, it could be because you're not pressing in to it. It could be you're not reading it. So taking truth from the word, preach to your heart. Do you know what preach to your heart means? It means you've memorized something and then you like, you hear your heart saying, oh, I don't want to do that. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Or you feel an excuse coming on or you feel like someone's hurt me and now oh, I'm going to feel bad about that. Or, well, what does God say about that? Find a verse, have a verse at your disposal. <laughs> Preach it into your heart. You're really just opening up and like, it's another way. Of, John Piper uses that phrase. That's why I like it, partly. I like the way he talks. But it's like you're taking the word and putting it in. Number two, so look at Jesus' experience. Jesus, ask, is it true? And you know, respond accordingly. Number two, submit. Submit to authority. It's really difficult within a church body if there's no submission. I mean, it's, it's just, um, life moves faster and better. Sometimes you just don't have time. Like, last night, one of my kids might have used my car and not put the keys back. Not a big thing. I said I'd pick up Greta from Zoe's. And then I'm like, wait, Rose, I, don't, I can't find my keys. She's like, let me go. And I'm, you know, that's just, I'm submitting to that. Like, it's, 
you submit, we submit to each other. Like, yes, she submits to me, and, and, and when, you know, hopefully, like, very few times it needs to, to feel that way. Following my leadership, to the degree I'm following Jesus, all those things, but, like, I submit to her. As a family, we submit to each other, and what, we don't. It's like, I'm not saying this is like, this is all, boy, you know what I mean. Like, when submission is beautiful, when it happens, things click along, Okay. Submit to Jesus. Say no to yourself. Say yes to grace. Say yes to generosity with your time. Say yes to loving others when they don't deserve it or when they've hurt you. And you're going to say no to the desire to make them feel that they've hurt you the rest of their life. Ask God questions in prayer. For example, God, how do you want me to spend my time today? When you start your day, I recommend opening up your planner on your phone is allowable. Or your planner, whatever it is, like however you plan your day, pray through it and say, is there anything in here I shouldn't be doing? Is there anything I should be preparing my heart for? Is this what you want? Um, If I listened to God more about my schedule, he would say, create more margin. You're just cutting it too close all the time. You're trying to say yes to too much. I need to submit to that. Do you ask God, what does he want for you in terms of even your free time? Are they purposeful? Your hobbies, your interests, are they purposeful and strategic? Do they put you into contact with people and and provide opportunities to share the gospel and to spread Jesus' fame, to spread love to other people, or are they self-indulgent? And it's different, it, same stuff could be a different answer for different people. You know, so, so I'm not going to give a list of like, these are the righteous hobbies and these are the, because we all know, well, no. <laughs> yeah. um, money, do you ask God specifically, like, God, am I giving, this, all this money is yours, God. I'm just affirming that. How would you have, am I spending, am I utilizing, am I stewarding money the way you want me to? If you're not open to praying that, that's a scary place to be. Are you not submitting? Is he not really Lord over your life? If, if that's convicting, repent of it and go to God and ask him about your money. Ask him about your treasures. Uh, Acts 4.32, I, I love this verse. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. I love that picture. We don't have treasures. It's all going to rust or break or get lost eventually. It's just a means. It's a means of helping, helping someone else. It's a means of showing that you care. Ultimately, it's a means of enjoyment. You know, you can make a, you know, a guitar is a means of, like, well, praising God and experiencing music in a unique way. Your talents and skills, everyone is created uniquely. We see that, <laughs> I mean, thankfully... I, this, this hopefully, I hope everyone feels this. Peter and John, they were perceived to not be educated and perceived to be a common man. And I have that thing inside me that wants to be a great man. I want to be a renaissance man. I want to be, okay, now we're getting back on that chess piece that's like actually a worm. That's where that heart is going. Um, but that being noted, we all have a different, different degrees of talent and skill, things that we can do. That uniquely well. Do you pray about, like, Lord, how can I serve the church with this skill, 
with this ability. So time, money, treasures, talent or skill, trinkets, some would say trinkets, treasures and trinkets. Number three, make or commit to room for Jesus. Schedule margin into your life. So that's, I'm telling you, confession, that's what Eric Hansen needs to focus on. One, one, one of many things. Pray for opportunities to serve. Pray to see the needs around you. I mean, so much of our lives, we're just in the zone, right? Because we don't have margin, i.e., we just put too much on our errand list and also committed to be, meeting someone at this next time, that means you don't have margin. That means you're flying through Target or Menards. I'll make this more personal to me. Menards. And see someone that you know and like, oh, I don't have time. And you feel that. Or see someone that you don't know. And, oh, I don't have time to, like, interact. Do they look like they need help? Do they look lost? And, then, and in that conversation, asking, Lord, what, what do you have of me right now? And submitting to it. Last, just look to be an agent for Jesus. Be bold and speak. You know, these, the early followers of Jesus in the book of Acts, they didn't need to be reminded to share the gospel. They had tasted and seen, and it was an overflow. So... In summary, as one of your pastors, I'm pleading with you to lose your life in order to save it. This is Christianity and being transformed by Jesus to serve and lead others out of love for them. This is a servant leader. Um, Let's pray. God, we ask that you would make this all clear and real to us, that you would make your word come alive as we read it and as we meditate on it. And as we sing, may it be singing not out of a boast, but out of a confession. You can have it all and you don't have it all yet because I haven't given it all. But you redeem us and then you, you are, we, you, we are a work in prog- progress, God. And we see that. I pray we would feel that. I pray that we would be a people that presses in to love well when we don't know how to love. We don't have the means but people that's looking to you, the provider of all these things, to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. As a note, as the band, come on up here and, and start playing if you'd, if you'd wish, if you're ready. A word about communion and during response time. Yeah, we celebrate communion every Sunday. In a sense, it's serious business in that we're remembering the significance of the, the cost the, the pen, the, what Jesus had to do in order to, to give us the opportunity to go from worm to flying beautiful butterfly. And so when we take the bread, we, when we drink the juice, signifying his body and blood, we're celebrating that it's him, not us. He did it. We couldn't do it. And, and we remember him as the center of our life and think about what he's called us to. So I just, I pray that, um, yeah, may this be a help. And as you respond today in your heart to the king, amen.